0: Thank you again, Ty, and to our worship team. Um, Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, it calls us, uh, it shapes us, it uh, challenges us, it convicts us. Uh, Teach us from it uh, the words that uh, you have given to us and and use it uh, as you see fit in our individual lives but also in our corporate life as a church family. In Jesus' name, amen. So the passage that Ty read on, if, uh, if you have your Bibles now, was 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse, verses 9 through 11. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 through 9. We, we'll be in that in a bit. Um, let me get myself situated here. Uh, there we go. But before we do, a couple things that I want to share uh, with you guys. Uh, first off, if you've listened to what listened to what I've said earlier today in the service, uh, we've been talking about who we are uh, today as, as a church. And we're called to be, uh, by the Lord, and this is biblical, uh, as a, a community, as a different community, uh, really as an alternative com- community, a countercultural community, kind of like an alternative city within a city, uh, to go and bless and to gather and look into God's Word and see what that says uh, for our lives, for our witness, for our growth. And, and we've been doing that over the years. And we've done it this week, again, uh, as we've alluded to, uh, there are things that happen in our in our nation uh, that we pray for, we pray about, uh, and we have some uh, some people in our in our congregation that I know that, that are very intentional uh, about praying for our world uh, as it is. Uh, we love on one another. Uh, we've had three, uh, so you know, three families uh, who've who've essentially lost a father uh, in the last week. And so, three funerals that uh, uh, that I'll at least uh, go to, and um, and many of y'all have have reached out. And if you don't reach out, uh, even more so, you, you pray for them. And so, it's a community. It's a it's a network. It's a uh, it's a family. Uh, really, our true family, our eternal family uh, in the kingdom of God. Uh, this is an alternative community, and that we do go out. Uh, I alluded to this: the trunk or treat. Now, I want to emphasize it uh, again, man. it was just seeing many here reach out uh, to those who uh, just giving a night of of, of some fun and, and a community. Uh, this city needs uh, more of that and and we can provide that we can do that it was It was really a, a beautiful thing for me at least to see and to witness of. So we minister to this city very locally uh, we 're exploring some ways. Uh, to get involved in a ministry in in downtown Jackson as well, uh, so you know. Probably more on that uh, later. Uh, And then we go to people, people groups, unreached people groups. And the Lord has opened doors for us, and many of y'all have have moved into those and entered into them uh, to share and shape uh, people for the gospel, for the kingdom, to help form new alternative communities for the kingdom. Mentioned Honduras, uh, India. Not only that, though. I mentioned Acts twenty nine that uh, we're thinking, praying about what churches in very rural communities in Mississippi look like and how we could help with that. Um, so, I mean, this church is you are, are part of this community that both cares for one another here, but also is is, is going out for the community, and we want that to grow. Uh, It's why we've started that, the vision of grow three, growing in three ways, growing in people, growing in giving, growing in going, uh, that you'll hear more and more about, not just towards the end of this year, but into next year. Why do we want to grow? It's not just for us, or not just say, well, look at our church. It's for Jesus. It's for his kingdom. It's for people who need a connection with Christ through a church everywhere. That's why we say we go to neighbors and nations. And I'll always say that. And that's not just an opinion or, uh, or, or some way of using words. It's biblical. Uh, and to go and to be good Samaritans. And to look at Jesus' model on the cross. When he died, uh, not just for us or those who call themselves Christians now, he died for his enemies. Those who were mocking him right then and there. Countercultural. Uh, an alternate... Community, alternate city in a city. That's what we're moving towards. That's what we'll always be moving towards in this broken world, in our broken hearts, and our broken lives. And so that is, that is a good thing, and that, that is something we should, we should celebrate but also emphasize in that this is who we are and, and why we gather and why we do what we do. But there are challenges. There are challenges in lives individually. Uh, corporately, relationally, challenges. Uh, part of what we've been talking about through the fall are these challenges. Challenges of money, challenges of sex, challenges in marriage. And I've always tried to address them as, you know, these are all good things, but we live in a broken world, and uh, the world and, and sin um, causes them to be broken and, and causes our motives to be broken in how we use God's good gifts. So the challenge, you know, we're looking at today is, is a significant one, and I've, I've talked about it a couple of Sundays. Uh, just so you know, we, we rotate these, and so like last week was kind of focused on money, and today is, uh, is sex. And it's, uh, I've been thinking about it a lot this week, but I've also had some experiences uh, in hearing things within our culture. And when I say culture, I'm not talking about like Western culture or North American culture, or, Amer- you know, just like here, locally. But all of us are broken, and all of us, well, maybe not all of us, but many of us have, have brokenness in this particular area. There is a, there's a culture of, of basically like just a hookup culture. Uh, you know, I, I get the privilege to teach some, some students, some 11th, 12th graders, 10th graders uh, hookup culture, hearing things that go on in college, um, colleges you know, that we love, that we cheer for. You know, what? how do we get here? I hear things about 6th graders, 6th graders, 6th graders. I need to say it again. My son's a 6th grader. You know, being called in because of their language uh, about sexuality um, and what they say to one another, challenge. It's a significant challenge. How do we get here? So we're going to address the challenge today, and today's gonna to be a little different. And I don't know if it's the tone of maybe everything that's happened in the week. Uh, I don't I don't always know what the Spirit's doing, but today's gonna to be a little different from previous no pun intended, you know, the sex talks or sermons. Usually I have used a pass over the last, I guess, two or three times, whatever this is, I don't lose count. Used a passage. We've kind of gone in on that when he's talking about sex. And and today's passage that Ty read, I mean it is Uh, It is significant about that issue, but I'm going to allude to it, but but really use it uh, to talk generally about a biblical view, a Christian view uh, of sex, and so it's going to be more general, and and this message would be, I'd say, part one of two, and next week I want to talk about a a more general view, Christian view, biblical view of singleness uh, and marriage, but I, I think we need to kind of hit this uh, to really be clear. And because of uh, the brokenness in our world, the brokenness in some of our lives, uh, the brokenness that some of us have have, have left from and, and moved past, uh, but use God's Word. And God's Word, man, it is uh, it is convicting. It's even, quite frankly, like a little weird, okay? If I can be honest. Like, I, I was tied as an artist and very thankful, but, you know, we were singing in worship, and then he read the scripture and, and loved how he did that. And then I'm just hearing the words like, wow, it's, just, it's a little jarring for me, you know, those words. I don't know how it is for you. Maybe it's not. But, you know, it's the Bible really challenges uh, and convicts. And we need to to mine it, literally, for, for what it says for our, our hearts uh, and for our lives. So I want to talk first about, and, and this this is not too deep and it's not over your head it's actually very very simple but a lot of us have done some done some study on this about you know how we did get here how we arrived at this place of really a culture of that just predominantly based on sexuality uh, whether you look at it as dress or relationships uh, in dating um, how do we get here and i can say that is you know, as, as a people or as a group, as a nation, as a culture. So let me, let me say four uh, quick things, that I think, how we got where we are sexually. And, and I think, you know, as I've been, again, reading and kind of working this out, this was really the most revealing to me. This may be the most important to you. It may not. But for me, lo- looking at it, this was very enlightening, to use that phrase. So when Paul was writing, Corinth was in Greece, Okay? It still is in Greece, it's a city in Greece. And so that world was the Greek-Roman world. Now, some of you love history like I am, and its context is very interesting to me about like you know, what was going on then and how they lived and how that applies to today. But in that Greek-Roman world, which very much impacts our world today, I would say, whether you know it or not, whether you realize it or not, there were, there were certain attitudes that were, were going on with the people there, the people in the churches there. So one of these, and these were attitudes towards sex. So one was, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down, one was a realist, uh, realist idea, realist philosophy even of sexuality. Like realism, like you're you know, just being real. And that was, sex is like basically other normal appetites. Eat, sleep, need to eat, need to sleep. Need to have sex, and they looked at it again, like realistically. That oh, if you need to have sex, then you should have sex. But hey, do it responsibly, uh, so you won't get yourself in too much trouble. But it's it's a natural function. It's a natural need, and you know, just just do it, but don't do it too much. That was literally the way they they thought, and and this. Uh, view, this idea, I would say this, uh, really has trickled down through the ages uh, a lot of, and I'm not going to say this in, in Jackson because I don't know, but uh, I know I, I kind of heard this growing up in a public school, so my experience, and many public schools really base their sex ed on this realistic view, like it's, it's a natural thing, you know, we need to be responsible about it, you know, you need to uh, have boundaries on it, but so on and so on. And, and that, so that has trickled down through the ages. Uh, another idea in Corinth, in ancient Greece, Rome, uh, if you're taking notes, this may interest you, it's called uh, Platonism, okay, Platonism. And this was the idea that, and it's here today too, okay, that the soul is really the good thing, that the body is bad, and so the, the bodily needs, even, eating can lead to gluttony. Uh, sex is just bad. And so it should only be used for procreation. But everything else, no. And we, I think we've hit on this in a couple sermons. And that view actually infiltrated a lot of the churches in that time, particularly this church in Corinth. It's like sex is bad. Only use it for procreation because the body's bad, sinful, we'd say, and the soul is good. A third one, moving forward in history, uh, is called romanticism. I like that word romance. This is the idea, this is very, very prevalent today. It's the idea that your appetites, your, your primal instincts even, are really good. Like, it's your, your nature. And so to discover your self-identity, self-expression, who you are, follow those primal instincts, which definitely would include sexuality. Uh, that had grown over the years, and that is very, very much, in my opinion, uh, true today. Sex is self-expression, discovering your identity, who you are, and just move into that. And then the last one is uh, for those of you who, like me, uh, enjoyed uh, Downton Abbey. Um, I, I know, I lost my man card there. No, not that I ever really had it. Um, but, uh, but anyway, it's a good show. Victorianism. This is the idea that really our primal instincts are bad, and we've got to really control them and put like, big-time boundaries on them and to suppress these emotions and these desires and these instincts. So those four, uh, realism. Hey, it it is what it is. Just be responsible about it, basically. Uh, Platonism. The body is bad. Just use sex for procreation. Romanticism. Hey, find yourself. Discover yourself. It's who you are. Move into that sexual expression, and then suppress those desires. All those have trickled down and those are big reasons of why we are where we are. And I would say, you know, if I had to, I don't put much into titles, but thinking about this sermon, the last verse that we read was verse 9. The end of it says, since it is better to marry than to burn with desire. Now, I was thinking about why do we burn with desire? Why do we burn with desire? Some of you could say, well, sin. Some of you could say the world, culture. And I would say this: this, this mixture of this realism, going back to that, where it's just, hey, it is is what it is, just be responsible about it. And romanticism, like, find yourself, discover yourself, those two things combined have really seeped so much into our culture, into our attitudes, into the way we think about ourselves, our relationships, sexuality, that that's a big reason why we we burn with desire. And we really don't know, much less live into, uh, and I, I know many who don't and didn't and that I didn't, a real Christian view of sex. What's the Christian view? What's the biblical view? So, moving forward, real quick, not a lot of time, so bear with me. A Christian view of sex would be that sex is good. Sex is good, but also that we are broken, that there is sin. And so we should, you know, we should literally like not listen to some of the appetites uh, in our minds and our bodies that Paul says, we didn't read it today, but flee the lusts of the flesh. So sex is good, but to flee these appetites and desires. A Christian view, a biblical view of sex would say that sex and love are not our primary means of fulfillment in this life, uh, in this world. Sex and love are not our our primary means to uh, find fulfillment in our life. Uh, So that would say marriage is not the primary means to find fulfillment uh, in this life. But sex is good, and it is a means. Sex and love is a way to see Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. That's a Christian, that's a biblical view. A Christian view would see sex as, as sacred, something very, very sacred. I mean, think about it. You have, you know, two people. Uh, two bodies, that with the help of God, with the Lord, creating a new soul, a new soul. And if we believe, and the Bible does, and as Christians, I do, that life begins at conception. So it's sacred. It's creating this new soul. And a Christian view would be that it's sacred because you're not just creating a new soul, but and it's not just for to grow a great family or the idol of family, but to say, hey, we're making disciples in our family. I mean sex is Christian view biblical view it's a tool like how can we best know Christ follow Christ and expand the kingdom of God? Not having sex and some you know some don't some say you know as a Christian you know they choose abstinence. The Christian view would be that's a witness of God's love for you. God's having a plan for your life. It's a witness to Christ and his eternal love. And some are at a point where they can choose it. But sex is good, but broken, and it's not to be our, our ultimate fulfillment. Sec, a Christian view of sex would be that it's like a dance, and that, maybe that's a, a bad metaphor, but it's a dance that points to the love of and the unity of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Sex is also about unity in that if you're married, and that's the only time you should have sex, I would add, that the sex is a renewal of the covenant that you've made with one another, just as God calls us into a covenant relationship with him. That's kind of, generally speaking, a Christian biblical view of sex. That it's not our primary ends of, of being, of life, nor is marriage, I might add that it should actually be a tool to see Jesus, to see his kingdom, and to promote it through new disciples, through marriage, through abstinence at times, if that's what God has called you to. And then there are boundaries that a Christian biblical view uh, puts forth. Uh, For example, going back again, why do we we burn with passion? I would say media is a big influence on that. I'd say peer pressure uh, that many of us have faced or many of you face now, is a big influence on why we burn with passion. The culture, we, we've already addressed that. It's why we burn with passion. The boundaries of sex in the Bible, in Christianity, would be that sex is between a man and woman in the covenant relationship of marriage. Uh, and outside of that, uh, you should not have sex. And outside of that, actually, there's a, a word for it we've used over and over here, pornea, which, of course, we get the word porn from. But pornea generally means all sex outside marriage, so today 's young adults uh the challenge you know that I hear and and see you know the challenge is i mean it, it's it 's almost like like it's it's literally almost taken as a given okay that that young adults in a relationship uh, will have sex uh, in fact, I mean those who would say they 're conservative or traditional uh, really just kind of means that we 'll just well, we'll wait till later on in the relationship to have sex when we're, like, solid. And those who say, well, I'm, you know, I'm not going to have sex. Um, I mean, in, in our culture, in our society, I mean, this is, I mean, it's, it's like viewed as laughable. It's viewed as, like, you're, are you weird? <laughs> like, is something wrong with you? Like, you choosing that? Why? I mean, what, why? This is true, Christians will meet with hostility and sarcasm if that's the road they choose. I know it because I've heard people say it. Hostility, sarcasm. Many of you have faced that. Many, Probably some of you here are facing it. But uh, sex outside the covenant of marriage is widespread. It's even widespread in the Christian community. It is. It, I, I know it, and that's not like... <laughs> It shouldn't be anything that I'm telling you that you don't know. So, how do we respond? All right, let's go to the Bible. How do we respond? First, 1 Corinthians seven. I want you to know this. Paul was writing this. Basically, there was the assumption then, going back to that time, that if you if you were single, if you were not married, you didn't have sex. There literally was um, there was not a lot of sex outside of of marriage. Particularly for Christians. So Paul in his in his writing here, he's assuming if you're single, you're not having sex. But he says, if you gotta have sex, get married. And that's basically, you know, what he's sharing in in First Corinthians uh, seven. And you know, again, going back to that word that we use, pornea, he's saying, you know, sex outside of uh, sex outside of marriage, that would be pornea. C. S. Lewis uh, described sex outside of marriage as this, and it's uh Kind of tweak the metaphor because it uh, you could definitely take a it could be some pun intended. But he said, "Sex outside of marriage is like you know you're getting a taste of food, but it doesn't nourish you. You don't digest it. It's just a taste, and, and that's it." I would agree with that. So Paul is saying that you know if if you just if you're single, I mean he, to put it bluntly, he's, he's saying. If you're single and you've got to have sex, then get married. I mean, I know this is, like, shocking to us, and it's, like, crazy. And some of you maybe you think it's weird. But for Paul, like, one of the big, big reasons for marriage was that you really needed to have sex. Okay. I had a buddy uh, when, I was, when I was, before ministry, before seminary, I was in, in D.C., and he was, uh, he was a good dude. He's actually, he went to seminary, and he, he, he's a professor teacher now, but uh, he was working there in D.C., and he was getting married early, and I was kind of shocked at that, because I definitely didn't want to get married early, okay, like uh, like many of us. But I was like, what are you going to do when you get married? He said, man, I'm going to have a lot of sex. (laughs) And makes, now, like, makes sense. I mean, really, his, his worldview, his philosophy. So what do we need? If we're single, and there's some singles here, if we're if we're married, what do we what do we need? Because how we handle our sex life, okay, uh, really shows our belief in God. Uh, and I think about that with young adults, with uh, singles, with those not married now. It does. Two things real quick, and we'll, we'll close up. But these could be the most important. We need two things. First, and I've said this over and over again, and it may sound weird too, um, but I do believe it. And I... It, this series has gotten me thinking in these terms, too. Uh, we need, whether you're man, woman, single, married, we need Jesus as our true spouse. Jesus is our first spouse. He is our true spouse. Uh, he gives us a fulfilling love. He is the one who completes us. Not the, you know, here, throw away man card again, the Jerry Maguire, you know, version. You know that line? You know, you I, you had me at hello, you complete me, all that, blah, 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 yep, yep, you got it. He completes us. He's our true spouse. Whether you're young, whether you're, wherever you are in life. Then, if that is the case, if we start looking and thinking, and like the song, you know, from the head to the heart. And for me at least, sometimes some of these things in these issues, it has to go from the head to the heart. Other things in Christianity, like my my faith, my belief, my... Uh, My worship, it goes from the heart to the head. But this one has, if if I'm being honest, it goes from the head to the heart. And I think about Jesus is my true spouse. He is the one who completes me. He fulfills me. Then uh, sex becomes, it's really a hint. You know, you're hinting at something better. Sex is a hint at God's great love for you, for us. And we also know that sex will not fulfill us, but God's love certainly will and, and God, the reason I say Jesus is our true spouse, because often God's love is like kind of general, kind of vague. But think Jesus is your true spouse. He completes you. He fulfills you. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, he alludes to it. He said, I wish that all people were as I am, verse 7. That's a gift that we believe Paul was celibate. And so some people are called, and this, I know, again, faced with all the stuff that's trickled down into our world today. It sounds weird. But some folks are, as Christians, and I've known them, talked to them, they feel like they're called to celibacy. And I'm not talking about like priests or I'm talking about people who are single or not married and saying, you know, I, I'll, I'll be celibate. But I know that uh, romantic love and marriage and sex are not the primary uh, ends of my life and definitely not the, the biggest things that will complete me. So some people have been given this gift. Paul calls it a gift. So, why do we burn again? Why do we burn with desire? Those things that have come down through the ages. That just be responsible or find yourself. But we need Jesus, our true spouse. Second thing, real quick. We need, and and you know, I've been really praying about this all week, you know, thinking about this, because man, we we desperately need this. Our church desperately needs this. So I'm gonna. Plead with you to think about this, pray about this. Our city desperately needs this. The world desperately needs churches like this. Not just Jesus' spouse. Uh, We need a community that practices together a new sex ethic. Okay? I say we need this because yes, I see sixth graders brought in. I see, I hear the hookup culture. Uh, I know. What goes on, what's happened. I know the pressures that are out there. And now thinking about it, praying about it, all this is coming. It's like insurmountable stuff that's like coming against us. And so, how do people survive in this without looking laughable or receiving hostility and sarcasm and breaking down and saying, you know, man, I'm just gonna gonna go outside. I'm a Christian, but I'm gonna go outside the Christian, the biblical view of sexuality. How does that happen? There are only two ways it happens. One, Jesus is your spouse, individual. But we've got to have a community, as I've shared over and over today, a community that together is saying, hey, we're going to live into, it's getting real, a new sex ethic. Paul, okay, First Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Tough passage, tough verse. Um, tough verse, because it it. I know, it pretty much includes everybody or looking at it, you know, okay? But he says, you were, such were some of you, but you were justified, you were saved in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Paul is calling the church in Corinth and the church today to a new identity, uh, to, be, to really a, a transformed identity. When you're saved, when you're baptized, when you're in a community of church, your identity is to be uh, being transformed into a new person. And so new identities together, making up this new community that I've said over and over again, an alternate community, really an alternate city within a city that, yes, is countercultural. We know everything that goes on. We know what pours into our kids and our students and our young adults and ourselves and what we see and we face, okay? I want to read you a quote. This is from Richard Hayes. You probably don't know him. He, he, was, uh, he taught New Testament at Duke for, for many, uh, many years. And uh, so he knows the New Testament. It's a good quote. Listen, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 has provided a launching pad for countless. And let me say this this might be, if you were thinking when you heard that passage initially, you might think, well, this is what I'm going to get today. But no. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 has provided a launching pad for countless moralistic sermons that decry the types of sinners listed here. In fact, the concern of the passage as a whole is to call the Corinthians to act as a community and to assert the transformed identity of the baptized. The Corinthians are to stop seeing themselves as participants in the normal social, and economic structures of their city and to imagine themselves instead as members of the future people of God, acting corporately together in a way that will prefigure and proclaim the kingdom of God to their city. Paul is seeking to literally re-socialize them into a new way of doing business, of doing life, a new community consciousness. I love that. I love that. One quick example, or well, two, and then a question, and, and we'll close up, okay? Give you an example of this. You know, sex and money. In our world today, sex is seen as something that is, uh, can be easily shared. Sex is seen as something that is really an exchange uh, for, uh, for fun and for experience. Money, today, is seen something as much more sacred and special and you don't share and you don't really talk about it, how much you have or how much you don't have. It's sacred It's special. The Christian view, the biblical view, the Christian worldview, biblical worldview is the opposite of that. It turns it around. Where money is seen simply as an exchange a capacity a tool to procure goods and services uh, easily shared uh, easily given uh, to those in need where sex is seen as sacred as special uh, as something that uh, is not easily shared that is one example of an alternate city an alternate community a countercultural community it's one example of what jesus calls us to be as his church not just a building to gather in a few programs and but something different. So I didn't like this. It's, you know, who are you? Where are you in that? I know where I was in that. Uh, such were some of you. I could definitely there. I was there. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were saved by the grace. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it does start in an individual's heart, salvation, most important thing. But if left by themselves, I mean, we're like, I mean, it's a stormy world out there. So then the other question be where are we? I mean, are, are, we, are we even consciously, intentionally trying to live into being? We want to be different, we want to be an alternate community for our kids for our students, for our young and for our singles. Is this a place where singles can feel, yes, I have mission, I have purpose, I can choose uh, this life with no shame, and yes, I might meet a little sarcasm or hostility here, but I've got a community, both of other singles and married couples that will shelter me and embrace me, and and I have this mission for the kingdom of God. And combined with that are families who don't make the earthly family an idol of itself, but say, we are one family part of this bigger family that we have a mission too, And maybe it's to shepherd some singles and walk with them. And maybe it is to go in mission. Maybe it is to teach our children and begin. And, or maybe it's our youth. Because it's a hard, hard world. And again, God has hit me over the last week with things that people face in, in this issue. And we've got to be different. But we can't just do it by like, yeah, let's be different. It comes by really receiving the grace of Christ individually knowing him as your true spouse first, but then saying we're going to link arms together as this, as this community that lives a different way, that celebrates life and is, is joyful and, and, and goes out and, and engages people and, and enjoys the gifts that God's given us. But we're going to search and seek to what he has for us in Scripture, but keep coming together and over again for those who lose family members, for those in need, as our neighbor and for nation. So who are you? And who are we? Have an opportunity now to make Jesus your true spouse, to make Jesus your true spouse. Again, we have an opportunity now to be that community as we come together for communion. We break the bread, you're part of one body, realizing what Jesus has done for you. I'm going to pray for us, and then our, our worship team is going to come up and those helping me come up. But I encourage you, I invite you to come up and make Jesus your true spouse today. Heavenly Father, thank you for the great call. Uh, it is not easy. It is not easy. But I, I pray that we can become more of your family, more of your community, because people need it, like literally need it. Uh, love, sheltering, whether they're singles, maybe they're in a, a marriage that is fractured right now help us to be an alternate city in this city and I pray more people here would say Jesus you're my spouse because we're all going to get hit the world as it is how we got here help help us all to make you our, our true spouse in your name amen